Hey everybody, welcome to season four of History Unloaded with Ashley and Danny. And for our season premiere, which will be airing the day before Halloween, we have a very special guest to, uh, with us today to uh, talk about a great Halloween theme. So we have Jonathan Ferguson. So Jonathan, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, Danny. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, so I'm Keeper of Firearms and Artillery at the Royal Armouries Museum in the UK. Uh, and I, but I also dabble in weird stuff like vampires, uh, wherever it kind of intersects the subject, which is not often, admittedly. <laughs> <laughs> but like any good curator, you can like find a way to make it fit. Of course. He's not a curator, he's a keeper. Oh, right, right. I should disclose that he has the, of all the people we know in the firearms and arms museum world, he has the best title. Um, Ours is just boring curator, associate curator. His is keeper of firearms and artillery, which we're all jealous of. Well, and I'm not going to lie, Jonathan, the first time I heard that, I thought you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my wife thinks I just play with guns all day. So it's appropriate in a way that you think I was joking. <laughs> but you, you actually kind of do, though, don't you? Hey, don't you start. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like Danny and I, like, you know, as, you know, past curator and current curator, I mean, we don't get to play with guns all day because we have, like, a lot of paperwork to file. Sure. Yeah. No, well, yeah. The, funnily enough, um, yeah, the, that job title is, I must admit, it's the coolest job, job title I've ever had. But I did turn it down twice um, because it was a promotion over curator of firearms. And that's all I ever wanted to do. So... I didn't want the management role and all the extra stuff that, that went with that. Uh, but I'm able to balance it. So I, I do a little bit of what you've done <laughs> with the, yeah. the management and the, the strategic stuff. But I get to do enough of the fun stuff to make it worthwhile for me. <laughs> cool. Well, so Danny so mentioned the, oh, his radio. I just cutting you off, Danny. Uh, Danny mentioned That's fine. radio voice because I can't let that go by, Danny. That like you were like, unless you know, show which will air the day before Halloween. Like it's it's gonna be like airing on the day before Halloween. You didn't have to like specify it. You could have been like, since Halloween's tomorrow. <laughs> you did it in the most I thought far enough ahead to say that, but not far enough past that to realize I didn't have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I was like, I gotta come back to that. Um, but so a couple of years ago through our Kurt Swanson Buholtz uh, Arsenals of History Symposium, Jonathan did a presentation on vampire guns because vampires are real. And so we figured for Halloween, like let's do this damn thing. So talk to us a little bit about vampires, Jonathan. Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, so, uh, God, 2007 eBay. Uh, so that's a bit Golden Girls, wasn't it? Picture it, Sicily. No. Uh, <laughs> I saw a vampire kit, vampire killing kit on eBay, and it was terrible. Um, and a few other people online at the time commented on it, and some were kind of, oh, wow, it's a vampire kit from the 19th century. And others were kind of just pouring scorn on this thing. And because I'm obsessed with nonsense, I decided to, to kind of debunk it and did that fairly successfully. There was someone else on, online at the time that, that was doing that as well. And it became apparent that this was a thing. There, were, there was more than one of these things. This one was quite a cheesy, very modern looking, um, replica is the wrong word, but um, 
uh, not very convincing at all. But then there were various others. And uh, long story short, they, they were selling at auction for lots of money. So the record, I think, was Sotheby's for $26,000, I think it was. Uh, 2012 wow. or thereabouts, I think. So a few years on. but um, And, and they're these the, a lot of these, the interesting ones were, or are, comprised of real antique things. So there's a gun. Uh, in there somewhere. These these are this is why it's so relevant to firearms because they are with almost without exception they are cased pistols. They're just a bit weird. So you've got your stake, your stakes, your mallet, crucifix or a cross, holy water, some sort of Bible or similar, and so on. So it's like a um, you know it's very hammer horror. Um, is there garlic in it? Usually, there's usually garlic. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was just trying to make a joke. <laughs> no, no, we the well. Spoiler alert: we have one. You already know this. Um, and yeah. ours has three little files in it, and one of them contains the remnants of some garlic. But I wouldn't put it on my uh, spaghetti or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and what type of ammo was it? Well, we were, yeah, we, we lost out. We didn't have any ammo. Um, oh, no. oh no sorry no i'll tell a lie there were just standard lead bullets in there that because because of the vintage or the, the purported vintage of these things um they were nearly all percussion pistols muzzle loading of course and a bullet mold which which some people seem to think was pincers for pulling out vampire fangs <laughs> yeah um so so we had some just you know how lead goes all dusty and and not very nice uh, when it corrodes that yeah but um the, the ones i ended up getting right down the rabbit hole on and writing an article for 40 and times i don't know if any uh so, some international listeners will, listeners will know about that even if um not in the states it's a british publication but they do sell worldwide and it's full of weird stuff but it, the great thing about it is it's uh people write for it everything from full-on Believers, I won't be disparaging, full-on believers in um, things like UFOs, ghosts, vampires, you name it. But also uh, academics, and some academics who are believers, I'm sure, but also sceptical people like me. So they were they crazy enough to let me write an article for them. I, I did another one in lockdown on The Plague Doctor, actually, which was fun. Oh, I want to uh, that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that article was specifically about the ones that I could really prove were just made up in the seventies onwards, probably um, because there's loads of these that no one can really debunk because they're all made out of 19th century bits. But these had, they had a label in the lid with a list of all the different um, items in it. And there were various bits of that that I could pick apart and, and debunk and various other features that were just not right. And one of them was the silver bullets. So to, in, a, in the longest winded answer to a question ever, <laughs> they usually contain silver bullets and some of them have crosses stamped into them. Uh, which is interesting. And in probably my most embarrassing piece of academic research ever, I tracked that down to a penthouse magazine article. Excellent. From, Excellent. from the six, 70s, 60s, 60s, where, which was about vampires and that you would, you would need a silver bullet with a cross stamped in it. And that's the only reference prior to modern vampire films, really, for that very specific combination. Silver bullet, with a cross stamp. So you Look, can see just how crazy I went on this. <laughs> that is like, that's like to the nth degree, not for you, but just like in coming up with the concept of killing a vampire. 
Yeah. It's a little, it's a little weird. It, it is. So do these things have like a, in your research, you, do they seem to come from a certain, I mean, there's the things you've mentioned that are sort of consistent between them. Do they seem to originate from a specific place or are people sort of, you know, I'm, I guess I'm taking the position that most of these are fake. Are people sort of catching on that this is a thing and now making these kits up sort of all over the place? Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> is the answer <laughs> to all of those yeah. and probably more. So a good example to illustrate how, how, how broad this goes is a kit that was sold at Christie's, I don't know, 15 years ago now, and it was sold in the furniture department. I think it was, um, and it, uh, no, sorry, uh, modern art, modern art, and it was an enormous, great chest shaped like a cross, with all the stakes and and stuff arrayed in it, quite like purely aesthetically. This was not a practical thing. You'd need a a truck to throw it in the back of to carry it around. <laughs> you could just throw the the case at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite. So if I'll send you the link if you're interested, but I mean that showed that someone at least was making these things not trying to deceive anyone you know this was this was just a bit of fun inspired by horror movies and i think most of them are probably that as well i think they're a bit of fun uh that the, the first time one appears in film is in fright night in 1985 and the first time we have a written reference for, for one existing which is an auction or, or a military catalog is the year after um now i don't i think they're older than that but I think a lot of the interest in making a cool thing that's like a movie prop, but, you know, but not. It probably dates from the, from the mid-80s. And we also have a... There are multiple origins. So, guy in London in 1972, so he claims. Um, he thinks he invented them. So he made one for his antique store in 1972 as a promotional item and was surprised when people thought it was amazing and wanted to buy it. And then we have copyists of, of these as well, no doubt. Um, I met someone at a conference, a parapsychology conference, uh, which I, I've spoken at two of those. They're quite good fun. And, I want to go to one of those. Yeah, that sounds awesome. No, you should. Uh, Exploring the Extraordinary, it's called. Very good. Uh, they're mo mostly in the UK, but they have done the odd one in the States, I think. Um, and she, had, she came up and sort of sheepishly admitted that she and some friends had made them in the late 80s and didn't know anything that, about any of the others that people had made. They had come up with the idea independently. So we've got three or four different origins, different times, different places. I feel like though, and I can't remember, maybe you know, Jonathan, when the myth of the vampire first like came to be historically, do you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, it depends how you define vampire. Uh, if, if, we, if we restrict ourselves to things that drink your blood, uh, or, you know, humanoid creatures or whatever, but, that drink yeah. blood, then it's very much Eastern Europe. Um, and it first comes to light. Of course it is. Yeah. So uh, late 17th century. And then in the early 18th century, the Habsburg Empire is, is moving east. Uh, you know, it owns Transylvania. Um, and so the West is meeting the East and they're hearing these crazy stories about peasants in villages digging up their relatives, cutting their hearts out and burning them, staking them all the stuff from the, um, from, from the law that we know from the movies and the books, and, and a few more besides, by the way. And so they're, they're reporting this. They're probably getting a few details wrong, but it, you know, and the myth varies from village to village. But what it boils down to 
and we have our own parallels in, in, in the British Isles as well, but they don't drink your blood, is it's a weird sort of scapegoat mechanism. So whereas with the witch mania, you would hunt down some poor innocent person and kill them, excuse me, um, with the, the vampire or the revenant, it's dead. So you're, you're, there's, there's someone's ill in the village or the crops are failing or that kind of thing or, or all of the above. You consult a specialist, you know, like a, a version of a vampire slayer or a local person who knows, has the sight, and they go around digging up, you go around digging up your relatives and friends. That one hasn't decomposed. That one is bloated. That one has blood in its mouth. That's your vampire. We will stake it. We will tear its heart out, heart out and burn it however you want to do it. cut its head off it's another big one of course and so that that's where the myth comes Wait, from people actually did this oh. or this is the like yeah totally they, they actually did and not only that they did it as recently as 2004 well who's they who did it they yeah in this case being the romanians okay <laughs> I, <was> like, uh, <laughs> I feel like we as americans <laughs> would do that as well well you were doing it <laughs> In the late 19th century, only they weren't, yeah, they weren't drinking blood. They were creating uh, TB somehow by being underground and doing stuff. They were, they were giving people's family members TB. So they, so they dug them up very similarly. Um, I believe there was even a heart burning and, and drinking of the ash in, in liquid, which is what they were doing in Eastern Europe. But I, I'd have to check that one. What they certainly did was arrange... In fact, no, sorry, no, it's because by the time they dug them up, they were long dead. So they rearranged the bones into a sort of skull and crossbones arrangement in the grave. All very interesting. There were newspaper reports about it at the time. So that's a parallel myth. Um, very similar. You know, you're draining, some of your essence is being drained somehow. So, I mean, okay, so I know that now I'm going to be the optimist because I used to, you know, be a ghost hunter. Um <laughs> and I'm not saying that I believe in vampires for the record. Um, I haven't been drinking enough for that, but uh, they believe in you. I'm <laughs> very pale. Danny and I could be very good vampires. Um, but no, um, so I mean, it's to me, it's not crazy to believe that, you know, maybe not the vampire kit in and of its current configuration or its, you know, post World War II, latter half of the 20th century configuration. Like, like we were, like, we as in like humans, like, we're crazy when it comes to stuff we don't understand. And so it doesn't like strike me as totally impossible that there would be authentic vampire killing kits. Like, it just, I mean, you may not have found them, but like, it just feels like that's something that we would do. Or like, have people, are there, do you know if there's, I'm so into this, sorry. <laughs> do you know if there's like historic stakes that were used to stake the people in the graves and that kind of thing? I mean, it just doesn't seem totally out of the realm of human possibility that they were doing this kind of stuff in the 19th century. This, this is the, this, you, you've, you've basically hit the nail on the head or hit the vampire in the heart, whatever you want to, how you want to say it, because... Uh, that's exactly why I think these exist, because the real tools that were really used to really stab and desecrate corpses, because people really did believe in this stuff, are things that were lying around the farm, lying around the house. You would use a fence post, you would use a gravedigger's spade, or just a normal shovel or something like that. A scythe. I mean, when the guys did it in 2004, they used a, they used a scythe. I mean, I was in Romania last month. And there was a lady just sauntering down the street with a giant scythe on her shoulder. Um, so that these these are readily available. They're, they're valuable items to, to people who aren't 
economically very well off, but they're not specialist. They are improvised. So it's more, as, I, as I've said in um, lectures before, it's a bit more like Shaun of the Dead than it is the, uh, the Hammer Vampire movies. You grab a cricket bat and you hit them with a cricket bat. Uh, it's the same here. You grab a scythe, you, you, you hit them with a... Some, some of the um, accounts in folklore, uh, there, are, there is the occasional sword. If someone's, you know, if there's a soldier around, someone, someone that's well off enough to afford a sword, they'll stick a sword through the grave, which is interesting. Uh, guns, guns are used. This is something I discovered doing this research. One of the methods prescribed um, in, in Romania, Transylvania, and um, that, that region was to fire a shot into the grave. It's not very exciting for a modern vampire movie. You know, it's what, what you mean I can just shoot him? <laughs> um, but in the 19th century, in poor rural areas, firearms were not that common. They were, they were sort of prestige items or, or, yeah. So turns out you could shoot a vampire and you didn't need silver bullets. So the real stuff that existed to kill vampires does not survive. Yeah. Or if it does, we don't know about it. So, okay. so someone, someone's filled the gap. All right, so now I'm going to keep going. Um, like... <laughs> I feel like so you're you're right. I mean the utilitarian. I mean that you see that a lot across the board with with different things. Uh, but it feels like you know, like so in the 19th century, there was the dude that was traveling around the country with the you know the mummy of um, John Wilkes Booth. You know, so like people yeah. were capitalizing on you know fear, fascination. You know the <clears throat> the macabre. Um, so I mean, wouldn't you think though that like somebody in like the 19th century would be like wait i could sell these things like it just feels like somebody yep. would want to do that uh, you know it's just because everybody's an opportunist right you know so I just feel like, yeah even though it might not have been used to kill you know or stab your loved one that gave you tb although i'm pretty sure if you got tb back then you probably weren't surviving so someone was stabbing on your behalf i don't know um <laughs> but you know like that somebody would try to capitalize on that you know how the catholic church did it you know, early, early on. I mean, we've all tried the tears of Jesus, you know, and the wood from the you know crucifix and, and that kind of thing. So it just feels like somebody would have sold something. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Despite what I just said, well, there are two, two main explanations that aren't, they're made up, which is the third one. Um, the, the first one is that people believed in this stuff and they made them and they sold them. And they, were, they were actually for killing vampires. The second explanation is exactly what you've just given, which was... Um, as far as I can tell, made up by the auction houses that were selling these things because they didn't know what they had, um, or maybe they were being a bit bit cheeky um, and didn't know. And well, the thing is, nobody knows, yeah. right? So, so we don't really know. But the the problem for these things as tourist souvenirs or a bit of fun from the nineteenth century is is simply that we don't have any evidence. We don't have any advertisements for yeah. them. We don't have any. As far as I know, um, we don't have any letters that mention them, diaries. You know, no one writes to, to Cousin Fanny and says, uh, I've, I've found this, this wonderful trifle at the, the, the shop the other day, and it's a vampire killing kit. No, there's no evidence. Yeah. So, and you, you and I know that in this business, we have to go with the evidence. Exactly. So from, a, from an academic point of view, we have to say they probably are post-Second World War. Yeah. Uh, from from a, an enthusiast point of view, of course, I'm with you. I want I want to find yeah. charlatan, the Barnum, you know. So, is there yeah. a is there one of these? Because 
sort of in my experience, and like when we're talking like firearms and firearms history and really history more broadly, there is always sort of that one mystery thing. Like, all right, I know this subject matter really well. Here's this one case. And, you know, to use the theme of some of the believer and skepticist stuff, there's like the UFO claims and there's some that are very easily debunked. And then there's some that are like, that's a little tougher to debunk. So are there any of these? I mean, like when the government was like, hey, check out these videos of unidentified flying objects. Yeah. <laughs> so is there one of these that is like, this one's really, really tough to debunk and I'm not sure why? Or you, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, several of them. You know, there are, there are, I've identified over a hundred of these things. And the ones with the label in the lid that are attributed to Professor Blomberg, who is who is fictional, um, are clearly not, you know, they are these modern things, definitely. Uh, but almost any of the others that are well made, how the hell would you tell? I mean, we you can subject them to scientific testing. You can test the ink, the glue, if there's glue involved, the glue in, that holds the box together. You can look at stylistically the form of the box that it's in. Um, and we've we've done a bit of or we've um, we've x-rayed ours and it didn't really reveal anything that would help uh, the the Winterthur Museum have in the States have I probably mispronounced that Winter. by the way um, yeah thank you uh, have um, done done scientific analysis on theirs and all the results came back post 1945 uh, but this is the thing it's like it'd be like whack-a-mole you'd have to you'd have to do a full suite of scientific tests and have someone like me look at them as well for every single yeah. box. But that's the thing, you see, every single box is different. There are no two of these alike. And if these were being made and marketed for sale, uh, you know, for a gentleman going to Eastern Europe or something, surely there'd be two that were similar, uh, you know, more than, yeah. or at least similar, if not identical. And that's just not the case. They've all been put together from as far as I can tell, found objects. So, Danny, as an aside, wait real quick, to our time travel episode that we did, I changed my answer. You did a time travel episode? We, it was bad. It was not very good. But uh, to the time oh. travel <laughs> episode that we did, I changed my answer. I'm going back to the 19th century, and I'm peddling vampire kits from the 1940s. Huh? Or from the post-war war II period. I'm doing it. So I'm doing it. You're not becoming a warlord anymore. You're becoming a charlotte. <laughs> I'm becoming a charlatan because I feel like it'd be much more fun to be Barnum. <laughs> Oh, I, I I feel like I've missed out. I I am a time travel nerd as well. well, well so well, um, I'm reading Guns of the. S <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've uh, I've watched a lot of uh, dubious quality time. Ours travel is definitely in a dubious category, <laughs> um, so it might be up your alley. Uh, we ended up deciding, <laughs> thanks to Camila, that we should be taking a flamethrower back. That would allow us the most options in terms of taking firepower back in history. Huh. Interesting. Quick summation, I originally suggested a flintlock musket of some sort because the scenario was you could travel, you don't know when you're going back and that would work across a broad yeah. range and you could maybe keep it working. I'm with you. Then, then Ashley suggested, I think the Gatling gun because she just wanted to demonstrate <laughs> firepower and then use that to gain real power. Yeah, that could work. Once. And then Camila, <laughs> yeah. And then Camila said a flamethrower because that would do that even more effectively. So we ended on flamethrower. It would, and you could probably... fire is always around. Uh, yeah, you can probably yeah. make the fuel 
almost indefinitely. The seals might present a problem, I, I, I suspect. But yeah. yeah, interesting. But <laughs> so we'll have to do a round two with you in the future. Yeah, please. Um, I have a DeLorean the, behind the me. Question I was... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the question I was going to ask is, since we are ostensibly about firearms, are, is, you mentioned there these are generally percussion pistols in these kits. Yep. Is there a specific style? I mean, because there's within percussion pistols that can mean a lot of things, as as you know. So, is there a specific style? Is it? Um, are these like fine English like carriage pistols that are showing up in here? Are uh -huh. they like little pocket? <laughs> Like, what are we talking about that show up in these things? We are talking about the 19th century equivalent of a Saturday night special. <laughs> awesome. Uh, they are nearly always, not always, not always but nearly always, um, Belgian, unnamed, single-shot, box-lock, cannon-barrel, turn-off pocket pistols. What a terrible idea. If you're going to make a vampire <laughs> killing kit in the 20th century, I mean, use something more effective. Ah, but if you if if we believe that the yeah. origin of these is in 1972 in London, then you can have a handgun in 1972 in London, but it's a lot of paperwork. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, so something that you can sell in almost any legal jurisdiction would be a percussion pocket pistol, and it fits in a box. So uh, my question is, is and if, I don't know if you've ever done any research looking at this, is have you found that there's like, so there's vampire killing kits. Are there like killing kits for zombies and like werewolves? Like, you know, or is it like specifically, you know, the vampire? You know, like do, has the allure crossed over the genres? Yep, it has, um, albeit very recently as far as i can tell so so there's at least one combined vampire and werewolf killing kit and what i what i that's for that's for edward and <laughs> yes Jacob. you can get both of those guys yep. yeah um <laughs> and I, I again so just to be clear there there is there is a whole suite of copyists as well that are very clearly modern you know things on etsy and ebay and where they're doing it for fun, and usually they're, they're saying, this is a replica of a 19th century vampire killing kit. Um, well, for all we know, there is no original. Uh, which, which, by the way, raises the question, are they fake? And I've, I've gone down that rabbit hole as well. And, and for me, they're, they're a contemporary collection thing. They are, they're yeah. a, a, a bit of gothic fiction, and you know, they're, they're a prop. Uh, so to me, they're a valid, valid object to collect, whether you're a private individual yeah. or a museum. But yeah, so there's one vampire and werewolf kit that I've seen. There might be more that purports to be real. I mean, uh, zombies? No, I've not seen. I'm sure someone will prove me wrong, but um, I've not seen a zombie kit. It's probably because you know, like you know, it's now just the with Walking Dead and stuff. It's just a cold python oh, or a don't. crossbow, you know, or a blunt knife. Yeah, you don't need the pushed kit. into it's, the skull. If you don't have time. To, like, you don't have time to like open up a kit, you know, when a zombie's like coming at you, you know, you just gotta unholster and go. You don't need the finesse. Well, you'll know the zombie kit is <laughs> yeah. I, I want the... the 19th century origins have like the box of like that zombie ambo that was really popular a couple of years ago. Like, right? The hardy ammo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, green, the bright green yeah. tipped ammo from the 19th century. 
That was... Can can someone please keep a box of that and donate it to us? Because I would. I really have like a box of it. it. Um, and and, and um, ah. Steve Hornady, the the owner of Hornady, that actually was his idea. Um, so cool. uh, we can get you. We can get you some. It's actually really cool. Um, a... When I left the Smithsonian, Dave Miller, uh, the curator there, gave me a box of Zombie Max. It's called Zombie Max. Yeah, I remember the, the the one and only shot show I've been to was 2013, and it was all over. Yeah, that yeah, show, we'll, so. we'll, we, we can hook you up with some Zombie Max. <laughs> I will say, going back to the, awesome, thank the you. The style of gun, <laughs> I think that could be like you could make the argument that the style of gun, the cheap Belgian pocket pistol. You know, if if there is if the theory is that people in the 19th century made these up to sell to people that were, you know, that they could take advantage of or that would believe in this stuff, and it tended to be in rural poor villages, like you would make up a rather inexpensive pistol that they could actually afford to buy. You wouldn't take them something that was inaffordable to them. So I could see that being well, a, not 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 case for it, but I'm sure you'll debunk it. <laughs> No, sorry, I'm going to be that guy again. You see, that that is like a combination of the two theories because the the one that says it's for selling to rich young gentlemen for a bit of jape, uh, jolly jape. What's a jape? Oh, sorry, we, we uh, British English in. for fun games. Jolly jape. Japes. I'm going to start. Japes. I'm going to talk about japes now. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to throw in some slang. Um, yeah, so that that theory would dictate mm. something more expensive because these guys would be able to afford. Right. You know, we've seen presentation rifles and pistols from fr rich friends to each other. They're going to be, you know, at least middle in quality, not not the dirt cheap Belgian stuff. If you're selling to Romanian peasants, yeah, absolutely, you want the cheapest gun possible. But then why make it in a beautifully lined velvet or beige box with all these other nice trinkets in it that? You know, it doesn't. The two. He don't was believing agree. the myth there for a second. He was like, "Yeah." I was trying to believe. It could be true. It could be true. I just don't have the, the truth evidence. is out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's we've been talking for a long time. So um, this was awesome. And I know we're going to have to have Jonathan on again because you're a lot more interesting to listen to than we are. I don't think I so. Think just because so. I say japes. <laughs> that was definitely what put it over the edge. Oh, they remind me <laughs> Remind me to tell you about crucifix guns at some Ooh, point. Oh, part two. Camila, you've been really quiet. I've been happily listening. Also working. Yeah, I think we actually interested you for like the first time ever. No, you did. I was interested. <laughs> Sometimes these just pass by my head <laughs> because they go really into gun techno. Uh, I don't know the gun world that I don't understand. So, <laughs> but this was more interesting. It's interesting. It's from Eastern Europe. Yeah. I was like, I was just gonna ask if Poland was Eastern Europe, Camila. Yes, Ashley, <laughs> Poland is Eastern Europe. I am Polish. <laughs> Camila's Polish. She lived in Poland for a while. <laughs> so you, you, helping. Camila, you could be making and selling some vampire kits. Maybe I should. Maybe that's my next career. Just they definitely had them. <laughs> they definitely had them in Poland. Upier, they call them. Upier, interesting. Hmm. Hmm. What's that mean? I don't know. That's not, it doesn't, it's not clicking for me. It doesn't mean anything to me in Poland. I may have got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Let me check. Camila's like, you probably did. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe it's just like a made up word they decided to use for it. I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're going to have Jonathan well, looking it up. I, I can tell you that they, uh, 
the first instance I found of someone waving a cross or a crucifix at a vampire was in was in Poland in 1693. That that makes sense. Camila, maybe it was like your great 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 ancestor, and you actually are like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh, Ooh. that would be cool. Yeah, that, I would I would gladly accept that. <laughs> Camila is the great, great, great descendant of a vampire killer. Why not? <laughs> My cross is somewhere, yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> All right, well, Jonathan, thank you so much for hopping on with us. I have no idea what time it is in England, but... Uh, oh, it's I... late afternoon. Okay. Oh, I was uh, wrong, it's... by the way. It's uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, but it's a variation of uh, Strigoi, which is what it is in Romanian. Can you put it on the chat? I'll try to pronounce uh, it. I will try it. Oh my God, this is the time when like Camila is keeping us on the line. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> it's usually Danny. It's usually Danny. We always try to wrap up. And Danny's <laughs> like, and 10 other things. <laughs> I was being good this And this time. is what I want to say. There yes. you go. That's because I was getting excited talking about the paranormal. She's got, she got, she got. People are, Polish people are going to kill me. I don't know exactly. She got. But I don't know how to pronounce that. Well, I don't either, clearly. <laughs> Shiga. Uh, uh, right. the, I'm going to send that to my parents. our listeners who are now just like, oh my God, I thought they were having this. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonathan. No worries. And the new season of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley. See you all next time.